the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review with Hugh Hewitt podcast, bringing to you the best voices on the stories and issues that matter. Helping make it all possible is the generous partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Here's another piece I'll trust you enjoy. I love to get the view from the Academy, the smart view from the Academy with Pete Peterson on Fridays. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy, and uh, you can follow him uh, on Twitter at Pete, the number four, C-A, at Pete, four, C-A. Pete Peterson, my favorite dean. How are you, sir? Great, Jeff. Always good to be with you, and uh, especially on Friday afternoon. You betcha. It's good to be with you, too, sir. I want to do. I want to throw three things your way, and uh, the third one could be a little fun. But the first two, I was, I was, you know, I, I follow you on Twitter, and two of the things you've been uh, tweeting a bit about lately. Um, if you wanted to weigh in on them, one was your conference on uh, communitarianism, which I thought looked yep. really interesting. If you want to say something about that, more than welcome to. The other was a study out of the Templeton Foundation that one-third of students say they muzzle their views in class for fear of social media backlash. I'd love to have you on either of those things, but I'll tell you what the third one is if you want to to just salivate, because I think it would be a lot of fun. So my my, my general manager here sent to several of our hosts a questionnaire asking them what their five what their five most important conservative books were to them. In other words, what books most shaped or helped shape their worldview? And he asked um, Larry Elder, Mike Gallagher, uh, me, Dennis Prager, Sebastian Gorka. You know all of us. And uh, I thought it would be fun to run those five from each of them by you and have you say, sight unseen, something about at least one of those books. Wouldn't that be fun? All right, we'll do that in a minute. But tell, tell us about what's going on at Pepperdine Communitarianism. And the fact that students, separate issue, students uh, are muzzling their views these days like never before. Yeah, well, that first on um, the communitarian series of webinars we've been hosting under the title Quest for Community is based on uh, one of the books I hope somebody raised in the, the top five conservative books, which is uh, Nisbet's Quest for Community. And suffice it to say, these uh, webinars we've been hosting over the last nine months have been exploring different aspects of what could be seen as a more uh, locally driven conservative politics and policy. Uh, we had at one time in the 90s and early 2000s uh, something akin to a, a bipartisan consensus on this more communitarian view of, of politics. Uh, that came out with organizations like the American Enterprise Institute, um, great book that they had, uh, the Civil Society Reader, another uh, important book that gathered together a lot of thinkers uh, to empower people, was uh, by Peter Berger and uh, Richard John Newhouse. And so what we've been exploring at the policy school is in this 
time, and we've talked about this before, Seth, when we're seeing these increasing levels of loneliness and disconnection, these deaths of despair and so on, is there a conservative response to it? And increasingly what we're going back to is this very classical understanding of conservatism, which understands the importance of institutions, starting uh, with our families, of course, but also civil society, our churches, religious organizations, uh, but also our neighborhoods, just our local affiliations where we live, as providing these opportunities for uh, connection and civic engagement. And so the event that we hosted last week was with uh, somebody on the left uh, named Eric Liu, who was actually working on some of these issues in the, in the Clinton White House going back into the 90s. And so we had uh, we had a friendly debate about uh, what a what a more left leaning communitarian approach looks like versus my perspective, which is more this classical uh, conservatism. But I I do believe we're at a moment, and this is something you cover so well in your show, where the conservative movement more broadly is trying to seek out what the next steps are going to be, understanding uh, where we are in the country post Trump. Um, and so our argument is that this communitarian uh, focus is one that uh, is not only um, can be appealing, but is also timely. Nice, nice. I remember uh, first encountering articles, uh, learned uh, articles about communitarianism through the works of someone whose name I don't see anymore, but he was everywhere for a while, a guy named Amatai Etzioni. Remember that? Yeah, one? yeah. Yeah, so Etzioni at George Washington University had this Center on Communitarianism, wrote a lot of books, a very prolific writer and speaker. He could be seen more in the left-leaning communitarianism in that he saw government as being a facilitator of uh, more locally driven policy and civic engagement. You know, where I'm coming from would be the thinkers would be the Nisbet, Dick Cornell, um, certainly a Russell Kirk and others that uh, have taken, you know, a Rod Dreyer would be a, would probably be a more recent thinker and writer on these things. But that, you know, that great Prager phrase that the bigger the government, the smaller the citizen, and the inverse is also true. And so finding these opportunities to connect one with another, especially at the local level, the importance of institutions once again in uh, providing a, a mediating space, to borrow the term, between government and the citizen is is really a set of arguments we think conservatism should be making again. Well, especially ripe. Say that, that last part again is important because especially ripe, as I say it, is uh, if uh, – how did you put it, Pete? Mediating institutions between government and citizen. Is that your phrase? Is that how you used it? Yeah, that's right. Mediating institutions between government and and citizen, uh, kind of kind of important when you think about the role a lot of government has taken upon itself in um, in the last year, certainly in the name of COVID, but in other ways that maybe Frederick Hayek warned us about, as as well as probably other communitarians, where the government wants to sap that very thing. The government wants to, shall we say, uh, run the field. Uh, run the yeah, boards, that's right. and, own, occupy all the space, play all the rules. 
Right. And I mean, the economists have given us this great phrase, crowding out, which is the, the actual study of the impact of government in when it takes a stronger role on providing social services, they crowd out the civil society and citizen-led institutions that were there previously. And so this isn't just about theory and political philosophy. This, this is real proven social science. That uh, that Prager phrase is true. Right. No, it is proven. And we've known it uh, from the founders. Uh, Certainly Madison wrote about this in the Federalist uh, Papers, Auxiliary Institutions. Tocqueville, of course, gave us a lot on this. And what's interesting when I think about Tocqueville in this respect, Pete, is he also talked about the importance of religious institutions in America and how, you know, perhaps that religion is our first uh, our, our first institution, really, in America. And when yeah. you think about that and the communitarian notions of, of civilizing or mediating institutions between state and individual, again, to what I said, that this country went through an experience for the better parts of a year in large parts of the country, uh, gatherings at religious uh, uh, houses of worship uh, were yeah. banned just at the time when people also in social science were warning about loneliness. Very, very, very disturbing set of things took place, each colliding into the other from what we knew before, isn't it? It is, Seth, and I think you you directly and accurately framed the operative question I believe that's facing America right now is that as we see light at the end of this tunnel as we see the vaccines being distributed. Do we see that that awareness, as you just pointed out, that we miss those things, mm-hmm. that we miss worshiping together, that we miss working together on various uh, you know public challenges, that we miss working together in the workplace? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do we realize those things and then uh, respond in such a way? That, that shows that we really do need one another, that we need to return even in maybe greater numbers to engage in our communities and understand the importance of our workplaces as providing uh, civic relationships, much less economic ones. Or do we take what we've, we believe we've learned and say, you know, we can continue to pull back from church, we can continue to pull back from these, uh, important civic institutions that have demanded real people to get involved. Nicely put. Pete, I thought this would be a fun exercise. We do things like this from time to time. My general manager asked several of our hosts here to name five books that they would consider part of the canon that informed their conservatism. Mm-hmm. And I thought I would read them to you, and you can comment on any one or any numbers of them that you would like. Shall we start with Larry Elder's five favorite books? Sounds great. And 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 see if you feel free to comment on and if any of them surprise you or if you would have guessed there would have been something not in that list. But Larry Elder, uh, I know you'll know all of these. The Road to Serfdom by Hayek, Free to Choose by Milton and Rose Friedman, Race and Culture by Thomas Sowell, Tragedy of American Compassion by Marvin Olasky, and Who Really Cares by Arthur Brooks. You know all those books pretty well. Yeah. Uh, Olasky's yeah. a fun name. I haven't seen that in a while. 
You know, that I have to say was formative in my own experience. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I haven't thought about Alasky's book in a long time, but that was one of the first book books I read in my say mid twenties or so, and I realized, wow, there's a lot more to this thinking that government just simply you can say that it cares for people more than anything else. Mm-hmm. His, dissection of this crowding out problem is exactly what he goes into there. And of course, the Arthur Brooks book, what makes Larry such a great host, as you know, is that he knows the data. And so in each of those books, there's a lot of data being covered there. And what Brooks gets into is this very inconvenient truth that not only conservatives, but especially conservatives uh, in, in some faith tradition, give more time and money, and not just to religious causes, but even to general civil society, than those that say they care on the left. And so there's a lot of rich data that uh, Brooks goes into as well in that book. So I would just pull both of those. The others are certainly classics, but I do think more conservatives should know the rich data that is in both the, the Brooks book and Alaski. It's a great it's a great uh, series of points you're making. And I guess between the two of us, it, it's probably fair to say, too, from what um, I, I don't know your relationship with Larry. I know you know him. Um, but yeah. from our mutual relationships with Larry, that this this is a collection or selection that a doesn't surprise and B, it just shows you this is Larry. These five books are Larry, and there's a nice progression to them. The Road to Serfdom, Free to Choose, Race and Culture, The Tragedy of American Compassion, Who Really Cares? I mean, that is Larry. Those five books are him, aren't they? They really are, and I do know Larry a bit. We've had lunch before. Yeah. You know, the broadcast in studios not too far from the Pepperdine campus, And uh, but you're so right. They really do uh, define him and, and very logical picks. Yeah. Mike Gallagher, uh, these books you will know as well, I think. Mike Gallagher's Five, The Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater, oh. Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand, The Federalist Papers, Things That Matter by Charles Krauthammer, and The Bible. Those books are Mike. Two, I, I, I'm guessing just because of, of uh, location, I may know Mike a little more than you, but maybe not. But those are those books. That's Mike. <laughs> that that's yeah. Mike too. Yeah, no, you're right, and and certainly uh, really covering the waterfront there from uh, Ayn Rand uh, to the Bible. Yeah, and, you get paleoconservatism, you know, neoconservatism. You get whatever Ayn Rand stood for. Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> No, that's right, and I don't know Mike that well, but I certainly have listened to the yeah. show and yeah. know him as a host, and, and those certainly seem like like logical picks there, too. The Bible's an interesting selection for a book um, in one or two respects, because one might say it's a book like no other book. There's no other book like it. It's, it's, yeah. it's uh, what's the phrase I'm looking for, sweet generous? It's, it's in a class of its yeah. own. And um, and and I guess the question I would ask Mike if I had him on, maybe I'll ask him on. What is it from the Bible he divines? That's the wrong word. What is it from the Bible? (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. Too clever by half. What is it from the Bible he takes to inform his conservatism? I'll tell you what it is for me. I'd love to know what it is for you. If it's true that it does inform your conservatism. For me, it's the nature of man and the distinction that 
men are not gods nor beasts. Yes. No, I think that's that's very well put, Seth, and I, w- I would take it the same way. What, what is what is our role in society um, and in culture, and what are our duties and responsibilities? But also, there there needs to be a a person. We need to understand ourselves rightly, which puts us exactly as you put us, between lower than angels, but <laughs> greater than animals. Yeah, a little lower and than the that, angels. Right. Yeah. There, there's it gets to what Tocqueville, mm-hmm. in many ways, saw as the important quality of particularly the, the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition in forming democratic citizens, in that it always, in one of his great phrases, it always put the end goals of man beyond their lifetime. Nicely put. And, yeah. and in so doing, it creates a certain amount of humility, right? Yep. It, it was uh, Buckley who said that, you know, one of the real problems with, with liberalism uh, on the left was this tendency towards immunitizing the eschaton. Right, right. Uh, which was always about we need, to th- we need to create heaven on earth. And, of course, a right understanding of the Judeo-Christian religion and the other major religions is that this is not all there is, and heaven will never be. Um, this side of an actual heaven, and so that that really should temper uh, and and give us humility as we interact on what are really major public challenges that we all have. I only have the most uh, feeble short-term memories, Pete. So I'm going to interrupt us for a minute and just make some sausage on air with my producer, Bill. Bill, I want to cut an ad for this show where I'm saying we will not immanitize the eschaton here. All right, will you remind me that will be one of our new promos? No immanitizing the eschaton from 3 to 6 on 9.60 a.m., okay? Work that up for me. Sorry, Pete, I hated to interrupt you. Quite all right. No, I so, Pete, mine was A New Birth of Freedom by Harry Jaffa, The Dream and the Nightmare by Myron Magnet, uh, Witnessed by Whitaker Chambers, Conscience of a Conservative by Barry Goldwater, and Up from Liberalism by William F. Buckley. Any thoughts on any of those? That did any of those uh, strike you when you were when you were becoming a conservative? Well, certainly, uh, a new birth of freedom. Uh, we haven't of the books you've listed thus far. There hasn't been a focus on the Constitution, right? Um, and so, the importance of the Constitution as a conserving document. And certainly, as it was bent and twisted through the Civil War and Jaffa taking us through our relationship as citizens to one another because of the Constitution, very important book in uh, understanding conservative thought. And so that's a that's a great pick. Magnet's book is is good and also different from the others that uh, you've listed thus far because it focuses on the '60s, right? And if there is a, a period of time that really wrought havoc on, on conservative thinking and conservative mores, it was the 60s. And Magnet pulling that apart to show that all the glitters was not gold back then. In fact, there were serious societal and personal prices to be paid by uh, certain lifestyles that were encouraged uh, during that period is it's very important to understand that ideas have consequences mm-hmm. and, and his ability to apply that to actual stories is, is uh, 
very important as well. In, so in a way, you could have subtitled that book, The Tragedy of American Compassion, couldn't you, in a way? Yeah. No, I, I think I think there is, is something to that. Um, there's also, there's a, there's a bit of a tragedy of, of liberalism yes. in that yes. as well, yes. right? Yes. This, this tension, just to bounce back to Jaffa, that we actually do have responsibility to one another, that phrase that he uses, that the Constitution is not a, a free love document, mm-hmm. right? It is a set of responsibilities. It is a compact that we enter into as citizens. Um, you know, that you, you can really read those two books together, <laughs> and, it, and it very much shows that if we, if we don't hold the Constitution and the lives of our fellow citizens in that type of regard, we can end up with that nightmare scenario that that Magnet so well lays out. I liked uh, uh, Witness because I thought it was important we understood what the long twilight struggle was about. I threw in Conscience of a Conservative by Goldwater, perhaps for reasons different from others. But, Pete, um, if you go back and read that book, and, and you well know it, um, yep. There's this notion about Barry Goldwater as a libertarian. This is not a libertarian book. This is a book right. whose opening pages is all about natural law and how it is the liberal who sees man as a material being. It, being, it is the conservative who sees man as someone with more than just a stomach, in Barry Goldwater's words. Uh, liberalism well, is about appetite. Well, I'm sure your appetite. listeners know in that area yeah. uh, that that Goldwater lived the life of of a, uh, if you will, a conscientious yeah. conservative. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that was not just these were not just arguments he was making in the public square. He was living his life out in such a way that he was deeply believed in volunteerism and yep. civil society yep. and engaging in supporting the lives of others. He understood the line that gets crossed when government uh, seeks to step in and in its own way uh, crowd out the behavior of the Barry Goldwaters of this war- world. And I would also say it's just important that you raise witness, um, because that is that is important reading for now, Yep, uh, as we might be looking at another existential opponent on the world stage. Agreed. Nice. Let me tell you what Dennis's are, his five books, Modern Times by Paul Johnson, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, Vision of the Anointed by Tom Sowell, The Israel Test by George Gilder, kind of interesting. And this is interesting, too, Mao, The Unknown Story. I don't know that book. Um, I don't either. Yeah, (laughs) but we need to know more about Mao. Pete Peterson, good friend. He is the dean of the Pepperdine School of Public Policy. Uh, They teach no rot there. What I mean by that is there was a philosopher at Oxford uh, around uh, World War One, who opened every class, uh, Professor Smith saying uh, the chief purpose of education, Pete, is to know when a man is talking rot. There's a lot of rot in our education system, uh, higher and um, elementary and secondary, but they won't find it at your school, will they? No, we certainly, we certainly have been uh, fighting that good fight for almost 25 years now. But when you start with founders like James Q. Wilson and Michael Novak and Jack Kemp, you know, the the foundation was set right. 
Boy, that's uh, that's the <laughs> yeah, that's 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 a pretty solid foundation. Dennis Prager's five favorite books, he told us, were Modern Times by Paul Johnson, Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl, Vision of the Anointed by Thomas Sowell, The Israel Test by George Gilder, and Mao, The Unknown Story. Any thoughts on Frankl, Sowell, Gilder, or Johnson, Pete? Well, certainly Frankl is the first psychiatrist, I think, of the books that have been cited thus far. Yes. And so... Understanding that conservatism. Ah, is not wait, nearly... hold it. No, he's not. Guess what? what? Charles what Krauthammer was a psychiatrist. Ah, very good. <laughs> very well How do you like very that? Well so, what played. does it say about the conservative movement that its two psychiatrist books make a <laughs> privileged list of 40, you know? Right. Well, <laughs> Sorry I mean, to interrupt your thought. Not at all. And very well played. I, no, I think that. You know, conservatives are sometimes indicted for being just fact-based and thinking about economics yeah, and yeah, yeah. those kinds of quantitative things. Yeah. But, you know, it's it's good to understand the humane and human part of this. And, of course, that really is at root what conservatism is arguing, is that we are dealing from a particular human nature. And uh, certainly Frankel explores that in the search for meaning and and how we do seek. I mean, many of those principles you can see at the grounding of this communitarian approach to conservatism that I mentioned before, but it is very much about the importance of institutions and how we seek meaning uh, in engaging through these institutions and how we find our identity, not just out of ourselves, but really in participation in the lives of our community. One of the quotes out of that book from Frankel that Dennis Prager makes a uh, makes a lot of, and I think it's an important one. I wonder what your sense of it is. There are two races of men in this world, but only these two, the race of the decent man and the race of the indecent man. Both are found everywhere. They penetrate into all groups of society. No group consists entirely of decent or indecent people. What think you of that notion, Pete, that there are only two races of men in the world, the decent and the indecent? Well, that is certainly um, a bifurcation. Um, And and it it certainly is not without uh, biblical resonance. Correct. I mean, there, there certainly are those. It becomes how we define decent But I think what is true, and this certainly does connect to a broader conservative philosophy, is that um, we are not we are not dealing with mankind that is always prone to goodness, and in that we we must be must be aware uh, uh, in in the structuring of our societies. I'm trying to think now of this great Madison quote that he had in one of the Federalist Papers, in which he described that the, the government is is the greatest realization of an understanding of human nature. Right, right, and, and, right. You know, we need to understand that uh, these structures... No, here's the quote. Why has government been formed at all? Because the passions of men mm-hmm. will not conform to the dictates of reason mm-hmm. without restraint. With the, yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. And that very much is what Franklin is, is saying there as well, but also the importance of there being decent men and women. And, uh, and what and, that and decency and restraint is based in, because yes. Frankel comes from a society 
and a moment in history where there was an awfully strong government. After all, it called itself a national socialist. Um, and it certainly did engage in the restraint of uh, man, but it engaged in the resta- restraint of man by engaging in the restraint of natural law and perhaps upending, Pete, as I'm talking and thinking at the same time, perhaps un- upending that whole notion that we started this conversation with, that there is a distinction between God and man and man and beast. I think the Nazi regime, if it stood for anything that Frankel witnessed, it stood for the notion that there are certain classes of people that can be treated as animals or vermin or cattle, um, and then you can do with them what you do to cattle or vermin. Because while a strong government, nonetheless, it was a strong government based wholly on an absence of natural law grounding. Absolutely right, and the inverse was also true yep. there, right? Yep. You had this this uh, Nietzschean ubermensch, right? Men who could uh, be gods, that right? Man could also yep. be gods yep. as well, yep. right? And so there wasn't really to be any accountability to a higher authority that that is to be realized uh, on Earth, and and that has obviously the twin sides to it: not only the man's striving to be like God, but also the ability to count others as being less than human. And uh, those two, those are very well tied together. Uh, It might be the central message of our founding and also Judeo-Christian values. The equality of man qua man with man as based in his inequality before God. You had mentioned Michael Novak as one of your school's founders, Mm -hmm. and I remember a wonderful lecture he once gave. It must have been a July 4th lecture of some kind, because he was talking about why why, uh, the city of Philadelphia, which really breaks down from the Greek word brotherly love. We call it the city of brotherly Mm -hmm. love. That's what Philadelphia Mm -hmm. actually means from the Greek, brotherly love would be the host city of a document that says all men are created equal mm. because, right, you've heard that lecture. And yeah. and it seems to me maybe that is the chief lesson of our founding and Judeo-Christian values. It's the golden it rule. Is. It's equality and yeah, it's it the is. golden rule. But in the, therein lies the tension, right, is that freedom must be allowed, mm-hmm. but understanding that freedom can be taken advantage of, mm-hmm. and then how do we structure a society in such a way that understands that man is a particular creature? Yes. Um, that The founders definitely understood that, um, but it, it, it always demands remembering and thinking through in different ways, and back to uh, Frankel's book, which which Prager has, uh, has impacted him. And again, another set of books, when you hear it, you're like... That's Dennis Prager right there. That is. Uh, yep. You know, that understanding is, is so important. To, Would you do me a favor, uh, maybe for fun, first time in the yep. history of the world a, uh, a layman is giving a dean homework. How about how about for our next visit you tell me your five books? I look forward to it, Jeff. Pete Peterson, have a great weekend. God bless you, sir. I love our visits. Thank you. You too, Seth. Thanks so much. God bless. Until next week. Thanks for listening to the Town Hall Review. Our program is coming today in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. It's America's most unique graduate leadership program offered on Pepperdine's breathtaking campus in Malibu, California. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. If you're enjoying the podcast, please tell a friend to go to Town Hall Review and sign up as well today.